Hello, and welcome to Couch Taters. I'm Jackson, and Capri is not here. Capri will be around for future pods, but um, we're trying to actually put out more of these pods, and Capri's really busy because she has a real job, unlike me. Uh, So I've been working on trying to get together a group of people to bring on as guests week to week who I also have like a good relationship with and I can talk to and who I think know something about TV or have something that they can bring. And this week, one of those people is my good friend, CJ. Hi, everybody. I'm happy to be here. So CJ is a very smart person. He's currently a law student. Well, you know what? Why don't you introduce yourself? Tell, tell, tell the people why they should listen to your opinions about TV. Well, let me put it this way. As a law student, uh, I get very little free time. And what free time I do get, I almost exclusively spend watching TV and then talking to you about the TV that we're both watching. Um, and so for what it's worth, I have very few other legitimate hobbies. And so I might as well put this one to good use. <laughs> CJ Smart. CJ knows TV. Uh, but most importantly, CJ shares all of my TV views. So it's a nice little echo chamber for us to um, to talk about stuff. So he's the perfect guest for me personally. Um, <laughs> on those lines, the show that we really want to talk about and the show that CJ and I text about multiple times every day is Succession. Succession is uh, it's airing its second season right now. We're about halfway through. And I don't know. This show is we should try to just do like a quick little log line of what Succession is. Because Let's do it right now. Because I'm thinking about I've had I've like tried to talk to people and been like Succession is this is really good you should watch it blah 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 and they're like what's it about and I kind of just like flounder I'm like you know it's about rich people um so you know what do you think Succession is what how would you just dis- how would you answer the question what is Succession you know it's funny uh, because I just caught myself answering this question yesterday um I have a good friend that's always looking for TV recommendations and so he asked me yesterday and I jumped at the opportunity to recommend Succession until I actually had to recommend Succession. <laughs> you know, at that point, I started falling over myself saying, no, 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 it's, it's great. Um, everyone sucks. And it's, it's kind of about these shitty people and you don't really <laughs> like them. You don't root for them, but it's kind of funny that you don't. And I, I think in the end that what Succession is, is a story about bad people, but it's not a story about bad people that speak to paint them in this light of evil people are just these degenerates that do evil things all the time. And I think that it's a show that tries to show you what realistic modern day evil people look like, which is mostly like semi-selfish, apathetic to other people's struggles, you know, and and the way that they approach life with this indifference to their own mega greed. And I think that that is the premise of Succession is like what makes up the sort of very casual evil that is very pervasive today in organizations like Fox News. Like, you know, these organizations are not made up of people with pitchfork and flames. They're made up of regular people that have found these very casual ways to be evil. And I think that that's sort of the heart of the show. I remember being hyped for Succession to come out um, because I saw the trailer last summer. Um, it was when I was taking my like full TV time. So I, I, I had left my my job and I was just like watching TV and writing about TV for like two months. And it perfectly aligned with the beginning of Succession. So I was like, this is a perfect project for me. I can't wait for this show to come out. And then I remember watching the first two episodes. And the second episode has a scene where Macaulay Culkin's brother jerks off to the skyline. 
And I remember just being like, what the fuck is this show? <laughs> and kind of checking out of it, still watching all of it, but being like much more skeptical. Yeah, I will say, I, I think for me, it started with the theme song, right? So for those of you that maybe don't know, Succession's theme song is very long and has a sort of a grainy photo montage sliced together over this like very sort of soft score. You're making um, it sound like a yearbook montage and i don't think that that's really what it is <laughs> you know I, I mean it is it is a yearbook montage in a sense that it's chronicling their life um and most importantly them being like ignored by their father <laughs> yeah um which is a theme of the show but I, I so all of that is to say that i'm watching this theme song and i think I'm trying to watch this first episode, but I'm still caught up in this space where I'm so programmed to think this TV show is giving me characters. Therefore, I should try to care about them and invest myself in wanting them to succeed. And so I'm watching these first maybe two or three episodes and I find myself looking at my phone or like thinking about what I did at work earlier that day. And there was something that just wasn't grabbing me. And I think it's because I felt like the show must not be for me because these characters just don't resonate with me. I don't relate to them. I don't root for them. I think that they're generally pretty shitty people. And for the first few episodes, that was a huge turnoff to me. And I, I think it wasn't until I changed the way that I was watching it, realizing like... I I actually don't really need to root for these people or like them or find them at all palatable because the show almost encourages you to feel that way. And once I kind of got over my own uh, reservations there, I was like went from total apprehension to like fully on board. Um, I remember listening to I listened to uh, a podcast from The Ringer called The The Watch. And every year they have an end of the year rankings. And for the last like two or three, they've brought on um, Sam Esmail, who's the creator of um, Mr. Robot. And he makes other TV he made Homecoming last year. And he was like, they loved Succession. And Sam was like, this is the dumbest show. He was like, it's so it's really well made. But he had all of the same reservations that you have where he was talking about. Yeah. Why, why should I care about any of these people? They're not only slimy people, but they're also incompetent. He was bringing up the idea that, like, yeah, we watch, like, Breaking Bad and Walter White is, like, a slime bucket, but he's also really good at making meth. So at least there's something that you're interested in. And these people are just bad at doing business. And <laughs> I think it's a real high wire act that they're doing because I do care about the characters now, but I'm also equally laughing at their failings all of the time. I think part of the joy of the show is taking this sort of like morbid joy and watching these characters that you've gotten to know so intimately fail in such obvious and predictable ways. And because the show is billed as this very serious, dramatic show, it almost makes it that much funnier when you catch yourself laughing at them. Yeah, I think I think that that's a very good point. I would say that I maybe it's just maybe there's a difference between you and me, but I do like care about the characters to some extent. I remember the real like turning point in the first season when I decided that the show that I felt like the show was like had turned a corner and a lot of people have like pointed to this moment is the the family therapy episode when they go to like New Mexico. It's like halfway through the first season. Oh, I remember Austerlitz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one. And I remember thinking none of these people asked to be born as Roy's, you know, the Roy is the family name. And there was something like kind of sad about that. Like they have all of this power and stuff, but they also have just like this abusive father 
brother who's terrible and has probably made them as terrible as they are. But he was also probably made by someone else. You know what I mean? And I remember thinking that and having some sympathy for them in that in that moment. But it is like a very smart show. But the thing that I keep coming back to is just how funny it is. And I think that this season has really been like the funniest, like the funniest moments have come this year. But do you think that it's a better comedy or or drama? You know, I, and we might feel differently about this, but I firmly believe that Succession is a better drama than it is a comedy. And the mm. reason I feel that way is because those comedic moments are so funny because of just the level of tension that is wound up in the dramatic moments leading up to it. That when these absurd lines get delivered, like holding a dildo made of American cheese, <laughs> what led up to that line was so much seriousness that when it's delivered so earnestly, you just can't help but let out all that anxiety that you've been holding in in a huge belly laugh. But to get there, they had to do some really carefully built dramatic tension for that comedic moment to land as much as it does. So I, I see the balance, but if I had to skew to one side, I think the comedy is so successful because of what a good dramatic show it is. I think I think I kind of agree. I think that the comedy works so well because the stuff that is so trivial to them um, is so important to the rest of us. Like when, like the guy who says that I'm holding in a, a dildo made of American cheese is like the Bernie Sanders stand-in, and he's talking about how he's going to like implement healthcare change policy, <laughs> and like that's so important to everybody who's below these people. And in this last episode, there's this whole bit about how the tagline that they came up with for the company or for the media arm of the company is we're listening. Then they then the guy who's in charge finds out that the basically they're like they have like Amazon Alexas and they've been listening, quote, quite aggressively <laughs> um, to to everybody. So they can't like do that. And they're trying to like figure out how to come up with a different title. And they're like dealing with these like Seinfeld more profane, but like these Seinfeld desks, how do we like fix these like little things that don't matter to us, except that they're like incredibly important to everyone beneath them? Yeah. And I think that specifically the scene you're referring to, I think that it represents succession at its best comedic styling because it's two primarily comedic actors just getting to have the stage and play with each other a little bit. And, you know, they're delivering this back and forth, like you said, as if they're discussing the most superfluous problems when in reality they're discussing like serious breaches of surveillance that affect millions and millions of people and they're discussing it like this is just some throwaway responsibility at their job that they still they'll, they'll just piece it together before the presentation later it doesn't really matter and more importantly it's like how is this going to affect me <laughs> like i'm gonna look like an idiot on stage well, I think that Tom is primarily that character. It, it kind of reminds me of Veep in that way, but it's just like barb after barb, and these people don't actually care about anything except for the accumulation of power, but they're so funny. I do think that Succession is a lot more, like you were saying, a lot more dramatic and like heartfelt. You feel the pain of these characters a lot more than you do in, in something like Veep. And I think with Succession, that you, you see the root of their pain as well, so you're not just experiencing it, but they really do I think appreciate digging into the genesis of where does this pain come from? What are the different ways that pain manifests? 
and exploring sort of the various degrees in which these people's humanity have been slowly sanded away by the environment that they've been raised in. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think that on the on the note of comedy, anyone who's interested in watching Succession should just take a quick a quick trip over to No Context Succession on on Twitter and just look at the this guy just like pulls out these screenshots and like the captions of what they're saying at the moment with no context and they make me laugh every single time without fail we just i I will say succession i think has the best line by line dialogue on tv right now in terms of the creativity and imagination and delivery that the actors give to it like every line just feels so important and unique and totally out of this world sometimes yeah and they all they all have great insults and jeez i i can't i honestly think that this is probably like the best show on tv right now um if it's the best show of the year but it's definitely one of them and i think one of the reasons that it works so well is because one of the reasons i've like grown to love it so much is because each episode has so many great lines and so many great moments that in the week between each episode like you and i can send texts to each other about and talk about the show in a way that you and i didn't on a show like i don't know mindhunter are you listening, Netflix? <laughs> How do you think the show would be different if, if it was like binging? Well, I'm glad you brought up Mindhunter because I think that's a perfect example, right? They, they aired at similar times, or at least Mindhunter was released while Succession was airing. And we have both watched every available episode of both of those shows. Yep. They are both phenomenal shows, yet we have the luxury of in between weeks with Succession, we relive all the best moments of the last episode. We talk about theories and the emotions we felt. We talk about specific performances that the actors delivered or our favorite lines. With Mindhunter, you were on episode six when I was on episode two. You had finished I was halfway through. By the time I caught up, you had moved on to something else. Yeah. And because there's no uniform viewing process, you do kind of lose that sense of community that makes TV so much fun to watch sometimes. Yeah, I don't think it's like a perfect one-to-one comparison uh, because Succession is like so much funnier than Mindhunter, which is like an incredibly dark show. It's very true. Like, I'm not going to send you a screenshot of something funny that Charles Manson says in Mindhunter. I think that it's interesting case study because they're kind of for similar audiences in terms of like adult prestige highbrow. And they are just, I don't know, they couldn't have had a more different um, coverage like online. Like, did you see anybody talking about Mindhunter really at all? I I maybe saw a tweet here or there saying, what a great show. Um, but there wasn't really a lot of dialogue around it. It was mostly somebody just putting out into the world. I watched this show. I thought it was good. And that's sort of where the conversation ends because, you know, not everybody had finished the show when that person did or they had finished it a week earlier and it had sort of faded from their brain a little bit. Um with Succession, I, I have a whole community of people I know that are also watching it that I can share a quote, and they also watch that episode. They know exactly where it came from, exactly what moment of the show, who delivered it, why it was funny, how they felt when they heard it. And because it's fresh in everybody's mind, because you have you know this buffer of seven days where everybody can watch it, catch up, talk to one another, it just feels like a much more pervasive part of pop culture right now than Mindhunter ever did because of the the binge streaming 
platform than Netflix is. Succession almost like picks up steam as the weeks go by. Capri does not watch Mindhunter. I mean, she doesn't watch Mindhunter, but (laughs) that's not her cup of tea. But she also doesn't watch Succession. And each week she is like she follows people on Twitter who are tweeting about Succession or she listens to me talk about it or whatever. And each week she gets like a little closer to maybe diving into it. And it's almost like over the two months of the season, it'll wear you down and be like, okay, I want to be in on this community because this seems like fun as opposed to like if you were like a little hesitant to watch Mindhunter, well, it's going to come and go in like a week and nobody's going to talk about it and you're not really going to miss out on anything because the next thing is going to be here. Yeah, I think that's such a good point and it's true that I have friends that resisted succession as much if not more than I did when I started watching, but because there's this elongated time where viewers are engaged in it, you know, I've had a few weeks to wear down some people and say, no, you know, you really got to check this out. You really got to check this out. Yeah, like, oh, this episode was really good. Oh, no, but this one was the best one. Yeah, exactly. And frankly, I mean, even look, you know, and for those of you that don't know, Jackson and I have many mutual friends that watch us talk about succession to one another. And there's a certain level of wanting to be a part of that community just by virtue of, you know, every Tuesday or every Wednesday, we've both seen the episode. We're going to be talking about it. We're going to be laughing together and sharing good memories. And yo, and we don't even watch it on the same night necessarily. Like, I do you watch it usually when it airs on Sunday nights? You know, I will say I didn't used to, but I am at the point with this show where if I find out that it is available for me to view, it is extremely hard for me to exercise self-control. I will watch it. Yeah. So I usually I usually have to work early on Monday morning. So I'm I don't watch it until Monday afternoon or Monday night. And it still works. We like or maybe even Tuesday night. And it still works, even though there's that kind of delay, because you can't get to the next chapter until another week. And it's like it gives us the time to pick out, oh, well, what really were the best moments of that episode? What were the most memorable quotes? You know, it's almost a week later now, and I can still vividly tell you which STD is the MySpace of STDs. It's syphilis. It is syphilis. And <laughs> and now I can't imagine anything else filling that. Uh, Tom has the best lines. You know, I will say on that note, and just to return to succession as a comedy versus a drama, the character of Tom, who... I would say delivers more comedic lines than dramatic lines as a whole. Agreed. Bill comes off as such a dramatic character because of the way his presence affects all of these much more serious people. It's his performance is maybe the best one on the show because he does all of these different there's so many different like ways he can show different like nuanced takes on being humiliated, whether it's like being embarrassed or being put down by someone higher up or whether it's trying to hold it together but not really being able to or whatever. I I think that it's so complicated. And even though he is such a dirtbag, I do feel bad for him all of the time. Um, so, and we knew this coming into our conversation today. We do differ here. I feel no sympathy for Tom. I just feel bad because he didn't know what marriage he was entering into. You know, Tom got to where he was in that company by being the biggest bootlicker on the planet. And (laughs) I think that if we put this into... You know, I, I think Succession very much wants you to see the parallels with the real world. Yeah. And I promise there are plenty of people at Fox News that, you know, stumbled their way to the top by not giving a shit about all the people they were stumbling over. And Tom strikes me as exactly that type of person. Yeah. And I mean, 
the show kind of takes for granted that we know how terrible these organizations are and th- and they'll touch on it but i mean for the most part it's it's so much focused on it through their eyes and they know that it's bad but it's like how bad is it really and i mean the answer is that it's pretty bad but <laughs> like if you actually live in our world it's the things that they're doing are pretty bad but the way that it's shot and and framed through their eyes it it, it makes it a lot easier to um sympathize with them and i think that the show knows that and they want you to feel that little bit of guilt i think they want you to have to stop and think to yourself like wait am i really rooting for logan roy to pull off this deal when in real life i would be miserable at the idea of somebody like him succeeding at anything i'm never rooting for logan roy i found myself in some kind of morbid way wanting him to pull off this deal with pierce and i i was a set with myself for it but it didn't stop me from in that moment hoping he pulled it off really yeah and i will say i think that that happens a lot you know uh when back in season one and this is i think one of Succession's quietly one of their best accomplishments is in an episode where kendall is seeking to usurp his father out of the company and he's running around and the father is running around and his siblings are running around everyone is caught up in the frenzy of this corporate showdown between father and son and you find yourself getting so invested in the outcome one way or the other but what succession does so well was from the beginning of the episode it seeded that there's a terrorist attack happening in new york city (laughs) and you go this entire episode seeing the effects of this attack in the background while really your primary focus is oh are they gonna pull off this deal yeah and in the real world if there was a terrorist attack and i was more focused on who was pulling off some business deal i would be a piece of shit the more and more i think about it the more and more i realize that it's such a high wire act of trying to balance these like very competing ideas that feel like they should be falling apart at any minute and they just don't they just keep they make it stronger it it really does feel like every week just builds an additional foundation on what they've already created and every single and i agree every single week i think this must be the week where the story falls apart a little bit because i just don't see where it could go from here and every single week there's more depth more gravity more you know cathartic laugh than there were the previous week and i mean at this point i am just willing to tip my cap and let them go wherever they think it needs to go because i trust that they are smarter than i am yeah i mean they're really hitting their stride right now and it won't last forever because nothing on tv ever does but i mean each one of the last each of the last like four weeks four episodes you could have been like oh that was the best episode of the series so far couldn't you just lie to me couldn't you just let me think maybe this one would last forever i mean the sopranos lasted pretty much forever um but (laughs) i've been let down before jack it's unlikely okay so you mentioned you mentioned that you watched mind hunter and i guess i was kind of just curious what kind of other stuff have you been watching in your limited free time um that wasn't my best segue but you know it felt like we were we were kind of at a close and it was time to move on yeah i I I agree. I think that if you haven't been convinced to watch Succession at this point, five more minutes of us talking about how wonderful the nuances are will not change your mind. I mean, it should, but yeah. (laughs) It should. If you're still listening, it should. I will say, and I I will stress the limited in limited free time, um, (laughs) but I will also stress that I truly do not have other hobbies. So I I blew through Mindhunter pretty quickly, um, which, as we just talked about it, you know, 
took me maybe two or three days, and then I was done with it and moving on to the next thing. We talked about it a little bit briefly, and we talked about how little we've talked about it. So what did you what did you think of the second season of Mindhunter? I, it's difficult for me because I think Mindhunter was technically just as good, if not better, than the first season. Agreed. Just, just from a technical perspective, like they hit all the right notes, the editing, the music, the acting, all phenomenal. But I, I did feel that because they chose to break up the season to focus on so many different people rather than seeing a sort of longer exploration into one person, maybe two people. Yeah. I did feel that there was something lost for me that, you know, I, the most compelling parts of Mindhunter to me are actually watching them dig into the minds of people that we know to be real. And when you only get one episode with somebody, it, it's harder for me to get that same investment because by the time I really bought into this character, the episode's halfway over and I don't get that much more time with them. Yeah. And so while I, found, I thought it was a fantastic second season, there was something that kept me from fully diving in the way I was hoping. Yeah, that's interesting. I've been working on this video about Mindhunter for like a month at this point. It got a lot bigger than I ever intended for it to be. So I can talk about Mindhunter forever, basically. <laughs> um, the video is at like 20 minutes right now. But basically one of the, I mean, it's interesting that you say you were missing them diving into the minds of people. Because I, in some ways, thought that that was kind of, yeah, the theme of the first season. And the second season kind of took that to a different place where it was like, what about if the people that they're hunting, you know, these they're trying to get into the minds of these people. What if those people are really good at getting into other people's minds, too? And you see that in like a bunch of the different serial killers that they're interviewing, whether it's Charles Manson, who didn't kill anybody himself and got other people to kill people, or uh, Berkowitz, who convinced everyone that he was just crazy and possessed by a demon dog, or whether it's, you know, the the whole Tench's son's son arc where it was uh he didn't do it but he was there you know and it was like complicit and i thought that that was really interesting like um how they tried to take the idea that worked so well in the first season and kind of take it in a new direction and I will say that I always respect a show that's not going to just regurgitate the same formula back. And even if it doesn't resonate with me, I still recognize and, and I want shows to be taking those risks to change up their formula. Even if, you know, it doesn't personally fit perfectly for you, I'd rather shows continuously try to do that than just churn out another season of the same theme. Right, because it'd be so easy to just have have each episode be and then we went to interview this guy and this is how that conversation went and we went to like you know what i mean it could be like a different monster of the week yeah and it, there were times where mindhunter felt like they were almost going in that direction but never fully fell into that trap yeah you know, there are a couple episodes early on where they pop in they talk to somebody they leave um but even then the characters are compelling enough and what they go through to get to those interviews are compelling enough that the show is carried along pretty well even on the episodes that don't feel as weighty. Yeah, I really I also really appreciated that they I recognize that I'm probably in the minority here, but how they focused so much less on, you know, Holden, who is our main character throughout the entire first season. And he just is like barely in the first two thirds of this season. And I really appreciated the time that we took with like Wendy 
and Tench and just trying to understand their their lives and try to color them a little bit more clearly. I, I agree. I found it really, really refreshing to feel like we were getting the show through a different character's eyes, which not every show is willing to try out, especially considering how good Holden's character was for that first season. And, and that performance you know, is I think amazing. It, yeah, his acting was really, I think, what brought a lot of people to the show. So their willingness to try and go away from that was, I, I thought, a pretty bold choice. But, I, you know, it seemed like it worked for both of us. So I, I'm assuming it probably did for other people, too. I, I never really got a chance to kind of dissect this. You know, there's a scene where Tench and Ford are together and they're driving in the car and Tench is driving and Ford is in the passenger seat and he talked and Ford kind of out of nowhere is just like, I'm in the feminine role here because you're driving and I'm sitting in the passenger seat. And we kept getting like a lot of those those little little beats about uh, gender roles and um, obviously Wendy was a major part of that. Yeah, and I think that what's interesting about Wendy is that she is sort of that voice reminding them to check themselves out of those gender roles at times. Yeah. Um, and the interactions that she has with that bartender early on in the season set the tone for, you know, the way that she's going to be approaching the characters and their choices regarding, uh, you know, traditional gender expression. And I, I will say I found that to be one of the most refreshing aspects of the show. And, and you know, nothing more refreshing than to two guys talking about gender roles on a TV show about serial killers. So, um, (laughs) but come on, we've been there a million times. (laughs) Speaking of things that I clearly don't have personal experience with, but I I would like to talk about is, um, the Netflix show unbelievable, which is something that I've been watching or I, I finished it in basically one, one day, maybe two days. Have you heard about this show? I I have heard about it, and I read some words recently about the girl that the show was based on. Oh, um, I have no idea and- what the original case is. I know it's true. I just don't know anything about, about them. Yeah, so for those of you that don't know, Unbelievable is a show centered um, around a girl who reports a sexual assault and is more or less encouraged to keep it quiet and sort of the journey that comes from making a report and the various ways people might try to silence you. Well, um, not even that. They they actually, they kind of intimidate her into saying it was a lie and then charge her with false reporting. Yeah, so... This is a true story, and the actress who portrayed her um, was able to talk with the girl who starred in it, and the the real-life um, person that the show is based on has come out really, I mean, truly advocating for the show, saying that it was not only an accurate depiction, but that she found it to be a really cathartic and healthy and helpful way of processing trauma at least for her and so hopefully that bore true for other people watching the show as well that might have also experienced similar things yeah and i mean for me i have not experienced this um you know firsthand or even really secondhand at this level i thought it was it was a perspective that i think needed to be heard and told and it was incredibly frustrating to watch at the beginning and it's supposed to be frustrating to watch because you know you read about these these things these cases and the way that they're handled and the way that we blame victims and all of these things and it's one thing to read about it and it's another thing to see it on screen you know tv and and film are such empathy building devices 
And it was, you know, it's crazy to me now thinking about it that we haven't seen a story like this before, or that I haven't. But I'm glad that this is getting such a such a big magnifying glass on it. And it, it was a truly remarkable show. It was very, very good. It's not just about that case. It's also about... um two two female detectives trying to catch the catch a serial rapist who ends up being the the person who assaulted Marie the main character who's played by Caitlin Deaver who uh is you buy Caitlin Deaver stock now because she's on the rise for sure and yeah i mean even just that cop part of it i was struck by how it was so typical that it was a it was very much like a buddy cop not a buddy cop because that makes it sound funny and it wasn't that funny but um you know cop partners on a on a case um and they have like a stakeout scene and other things like that but it really made me think about how i've never seen that with two female detectives before how i've seen that with two male detectives and maybe a male and a female detective but never two female detectives talking about you know just talking about it their their careers and i thought that was um a refreshing take that i was happy to see on screen you know i I completely agree and i find that it has been really refreshing over the last year or so to see how many shows um are trying to center female experience in a way that's sort of outside of the romantic sphere which i'm sure everybody wants to hear right a podcast of two white guys talking about how great it is that women are on tv um I know, but at the same time, it's also, I do feel like I am getting a a better experience. Getting this wide range of of different perspectives feels like a better. I mean, it's stuff that I'm not used to seeing. It's it's fresh, it's new, and it's it's exciting, and it's broadening. You know, my my view of not just like TV and art, but also just the world. Yep, I could not have said it better myself. Um, but I'll try. Oh yeah, please and... try. <laughs> <laughs> but I I completely agree with the idea that it does make the experience better. Right, you're getting a different way of looking at the world than has been traditionally shown on television. And I think not only is representation so important for the people that are being represented that, you know, I think primarily, you know, representation benefits those people that now can see themselves in media more frequently and and in deeper ways. But I think it also benefits everyone else who then gets to have these spaces to learn and adjust their own perspectives onto things and, you know, get a, a more candid view of the way people other than themselves see the world. And I, I agree. I think it just makes the actual product of TV better. Yeah, I think that I think that puts a great bow on it. And by the way, if you watched Booksmart, if you watched Booksmart and didn't buy your Caitlin Deeper stock already, you're a fool. I mean, I saw it twice in theaters, so... Um... <laughs> Uh, Capri and I have talked about it extensively on the on the pod before, but um, I, no, yeah, I, it was I great. Don't worry, it was great. Booksmart was awesome. Caitlin Deaver was great in it, and that was when I started following her on Instagram, and I first got wind that this show was coming out. So, oh, that's funny. Uh, yeah. Anyways, what else have you been watching? Well, so I will say I have not gotten too deep into it yet, but I did just start the Amazon show Undone. Yes, I I actually finished it last night. All right, well, don't spoil the ending for me, but I will say that aesthetically, it is one of the most interesting things I have ever seen in my life. It feels like I'm like looking into a museum when I watch that show. Yeah, I can actually speak to this a little bit. So um, Undone is... 
a a new Amazon original from Kate Purdy and Raphael Bob Waxberg, who uh they both worked on uh Bojack Horseman and uh Raphael Bojack uh, <laughs> Raphael Bojack Horseman. Bob Waxberg is uh, <laughs> he was actually the creator of uh Bojack, and it's it's created using this um technique called they're calling it rotoscoping um which as an editor kind of bugs me a little bit because it's not actually technically rotoscoping or it is but it, it isn't basically they're they're taking and they're drawing on to the frame so they're taking actual footage and they're drawing it to make it look animated there was a movie called a scanner darkly that came out a long time ago but the it basically gives you this very trippy feeling of it's it definitely looks real and it looks more real than animation in that you can see like the 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 tiny little expressions on people's faces a lot more detailed but it also is uncanny in that it's not it's clearly not real yeah it does not look real yeah it's a really breezy watch it's only eight episodes and they're each about 20 minutes but they still find a way to pack in a lot of depth to it from what i've seen thus far yeah so tell me tell me what you think and i will i will not spoil anything for you well i will say again another show that gives you a sort of more intimate view into a non-male character which I found very drawn to for the reasons we've already discussed. But I just, I, I find it interesting in the way that it plays with how you see the world versus how the world actually is versus how you participate in it and, and sort of the layers that go along with that. Um, I found really thought provoking. I constantly want to go back and watch a scene again after I've already finished it to see if now that I know what's going to happen, maybe I'll see it in a different way. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's very much, about it, it's so hard to wrap up without um without you know touching on 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 every bit of it because i mean the show is kind of about uh, a collapse of of time there's she kind of gains the ability to to travel through time in some way shape or form it's unclear how and how the the past the future the present all kind of blend together that's crazy man you're right although no but to to, to your point you do kind of start thinking about looking at past present and future instead of in this linear way you kind of experience them all at once and that can be very disorienting when you've grown so used to seeing a story told in a particular way and i think it's always cool when shows are willing to get creative with the way that they present the narration to you and that is a show that is willing to take really big risks with how they do that and and that's that's just fun, I think. It makes the show interesting. It keeps you on your toes. I, I mean, words get thrown around a lot with, with shows, and you hear people being like, it's interesting, it's bold, it's fresh. But as soon as you watch like the opening scene of this show, you kind of get a feel that it's not really like other fresh, bold shows, just from like the very, the very strong image that it, it gives you. And it's not just for show. It actually has a lot to do with the ideas that they're exploring. Right. It really does feel like the method they've chosen to present the story in was very intentional based on the contents of the show, which is why it works. You know, I, I think a gimmick only goes as far as the story that is being told through that gimmick, which is why I think people have very strong feelings about a show like Mr. Robot as well, because, you know, if you see the gimmick as an extension of the story, then it really works. And if you don't fully buy into it, it's, the show's kind of lost you at that point. 
I see what you did there. I see what you did uh, trying to trying to transition to our next topic, our final topic. Oh, yeah. Didn't you love that? I really appreciate that. You know, you don't get that from from I didn't expect that from a guest, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I read my agendas, Jackson. I, I, <laughs> I appreciate that. Capri does not. Capri is anti-outline. She doesn't want anything to do with them. Um, so I'm glad that, you know. Anyways. Um, I balance out Capri's rogue charm. Uh, no, there is no balancing uh, her rogue charm. It is un, unmatched. You know, that I will not argue with. Uh, but now that you brought it up, another show that, that CJ and I have a ton of affinity for and have bonded over, not just Succession and the Americans, which maybe we can talk about at another time, uh, is Mr. Robot. And Mr. Robot is coming back for its final season in just like a month. It's like a month away. And I kind of wanted to, you're, you're kind of the only person I know who watches, who still watches Mr. Robot. Some people watch the first season and then they kind of fell off. But I kind of just wanted to check in with you and see how did you feel about like the last season? What are you looking forward to the next season? How do you think, like, just where, where do you think we're going with this whole thing? I, listen, I will say, as you point out, you know, we've both been watching Mr. Robot since the beginning. And I think one of the joys of Mr. Robot is that we had that community when it started, right? And we were really able to bond week to week over, did you see what happened? What do you think about it? What do you think is coming next? And, you know, I, I think part of the joy of that show is the community we found when we first started watching it. And the quality of the show is still phenomenal in my mind. But I mean, when did, it feels like I was still in college when the last season came out. I feel like it's been ages. 2017, almost two yeah, years in ago. in October of 2017. So it's been two years since we've gotten Mr. Robot. Which is crazy. But also, I mean, it makes sense because Sam Esmail, who's the creator, has, he he produced a show for Amazon last year called Homecoming with starring Julia Roberts. And Rami Malek has won an Academy Award for being Freddie Mercury. So, you know, the, these people are busy and they're blowing up. So they don't have time to, uh, to make this USA show. <laughs> <laughs> but I want it, Jackson. I mean, I want and, it too. And listen, I recognize that, you know, other things get in the way. And I, I'm sure Mr. Robot is a show that requires an intense amount of work to produce, you know, to write, but, but to score the cinematography i think is is next level for a tv show it's um, i i just want to take a minute to talk about how ridiculously good it looks last season they had an entire episode an entire 45 minute episode that was one shot or it was edited to make it look as if it was one shot birdman style um which was a technique that i will remind our listeners was a gimmick that won an academy award um <laughs> And they did it on a on a 45 minute show that took place in the middle of a riot inside, outside, all over the place. It was insane. And it, I remember getting halfway through that episode and being like, wait, are they actually are they actually doing this? And sorry, I just wanted to take a minute to talk about that. I, it is true. I think one of the best parts of that show is just how incredible the risks they take. And that moment where you sort of realize like, oh, they're taking this risk and it totally works. I'm completely bought into this really creative way that they've chosen to present the story to me. And it, 
it takes the actual content and story and characters themselves and completely blasts them into outer space. You feel like you're looking at things in a way you haven't before. And aside from the show just being a wonderful, um, creative television show, you almost feel like you're watching something different when you watch Mr. Robot. Yeah, and I think that's very obvious from like the way it's framed and, and everything like that. Like they, they have this way of shooting everybody where it's usually when someone's shot in a in like you take a, a shot of two people talking, it'll be like over the shoulder and you see like all of this space in front of someone's they call it nose room, you know? And there's Yeah, the way you're taught to do it. Yeah, and they do the opposite in Mr. Robot, where everyone is like super like pushing up against the the edge of the frame and there's just all this empty space behind them and it's just very offsetting in a way that that tells you right off the bat that this is different and has to do with all sorts of different ideas and i think that the ideas that are at the heart of the show about um whether it's isolation or anxiety or commentary on all of these dark forces and you know corporations and governments and corruption are all like super powerful and is something that i've always like very much found interesting in the show and i thought in season three they kind of were like trying to roll back that a little bit so i'm gonna i'm gonna do a quick little spoiler of uh the first three seasons of mr robot minor spoilers but just you know heads up first season they they execute a hack that basically eliminates all of the debt in the world just gets rid of all of the bank accounts all of the money everywhere and in by season three they've kind of seen how this has become a nightmarish scenario for everybody and how it didn't get rid of corporations but only kind of made them stronger and now they're trying to undo the hack that they did and i'm really interested to see where they end up because i think that the original thing that they said was pretty revolutionary in 2015 to put on tv especially a show a tv network like usa and now we're Two years later, and they're saying, no, 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 never mind, scrap that whole thing. And now we're two years after that, and the whole world looks so different than it did in 2015. And I'm just, I don't know, what do you think is going gonna, is gonna, like, to happen? <laughs> yeah, well, I think that we've seen the creators grapple with this a little bit. You know, in season three, we actually see Donald Trump featured on a television, sort of poignantly placed um, to cast some of the villains in a light by associating them with Donald Trump to begin with. So I, I think that you see, you know, you get a sense that the creators are aware that the world has changed and their messaging, you know, will need to reflect that. But I agree, I'll be interested to see where they go because you're right. The initial problem was, you know, let's break the system, kind of allow people to rise up in chaos. And now we're seeing that, you know, chaos doesn't always lead to the ideal results you might hope that they will. And how these people are reckoning with the fact that they might have made a mistake they can't fix. And that is a feeling I think we can all relate to. But what is the next step? You know, is fixing it really going to be a satisfying conclusion for Mr. Robot? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so either. And I know that when the show was pitched, it was pitched as a show like they ha he had a set beginning, middle and end. And that's part of the reason why it's on USA and not on uh, like a network that you probably would associate with this kind of story, like an FX or an HBO, because um, they wanted more network control over the, the kind of plot and stuff. And he was like, nah. So I wonder how like flexible it is with the changing like society and this kind of like maybe tearing it down isn't the best idea. 
and I I have no idea what where it's gonna go, and I almost like need it to to come up with an answer so that I have an idea of because I can't even think of a solution. You know what I mean? I can't think of a direction for the show to go, so I need it to come up with something so I can decide how I feel about it. <laughs> right. I I think that what everybody's worried about is that Mr. Robot sort of won't pick a lane, and I do think that if the show sort of just ends with a shrug of its shoulders, I can't I can't see it doing that personally and i and i agree i i think that part of what's making me so excited for this season is because sam Esmail has done more than enough for me to buy in at this point you know i, I trust that he'll that he will have taken these last two years to come up with something really worth making a season for but i i also don't know where it's gonna go and i do think that it's a show that really will need to stick the landing to an extent for me to remember it fondly yeah there are those shows that need to stick the landing and those that don't and this is one that i think i think does because its messaging is just so critical that it's it's, it's so essential to its to its story yeah right like if if their message doesn't feel really clear and concise in the way they wrap it up then it doesn't feel like there was much point for me to have followed the story at all yeah and that's that's really scary but also you know really exciting because it could also become like uh, this super powerful statement that that I never saw coming and, and it's going to blow my mind, you know? Well, and I do think that those first three seasons have given us more than enough reason to believe that they wouldn't be making a season four if they didn't have something meaningful to say with it. Absolutely. And I think that it's such a bold show in all of the choices that it makes that I can't imagine it not <laughs> doing something bold. I don't know what it's yeah, going it to be. Yeah, it does not feel like the show to waffle. It's not going to it's not going to fizzle out, I don't think. If it goes down and it's not well received it's going to be in a blaze of glory so um, you know i have to say though i will miss seeing ronnie malik play that character because elliot i think to this point is still the best thing he's ever done yeah i don't i don't think it's particularly close either um <laughs> which i know is a is a sentence that you love to hear uh, oh i know you did that on purpose <laughs> And it was perfectly executed. I'll give you that. <laughs> uh, CJ hates the term, uh, it's not even close, when people are talking about sports. It'll be like, you know, Michael Jordan's the greatest player of all time. It's not even close. Uh, he, it's always close. He likes to he likes to, to live in those that, that close gray area, that nuance. Things are close. It's a small world for, for CJ. Uh, you know, it is indeed, and I don't appreciate them getting crossed here, all right? This is my professional <laughs> environment. <laughs> professional, okay, professional environment. So I guess that means we'll have you back on at some point. Um, maybe to talk about Mr. Robot after it after it comes on some more. You know, I am. I don't have much going for me other than talking about TV, Jackson. So you could throw me a bone every now and then. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. Do you, do you have Do you have anything to to plug? Anything that you want people to check out? No. Hang on to the little bit of free time you have, people. You don't need to hear what I think about that. All I do is read like legal treatises. You guys want to know some interesting. Uh, court cases from the 70s yeah what tell me tell me what you're reading <laughs> oh my god I, you know i've been mostly steeped in employment law lately so uh, a lot about uber so that story about about the uh the pig fuckers in in sweden was not part of your legal studies okay, that you sent me i will 
say that it was meaningful to my legal studies in the sense that it made me laugh and reminded me that there's some there's some joy that can be found in the universe outside of those giant textbooks. What were the details of that story? Okay. So where do I even begin? It's it's so only like a it's only like a 500 word like report, but it feels so much longer. Yeah, right. Like these kids are like running in the park and they stumble upon these naked people in pig masks who then wave green lasers at them. And like in the their eyes, right? Away. Yeah, like the kids run away screaming from these green lasers being pointed at their faces. Then the people proceed in their pig masks to have loud sex on top of this wooden sculpture where they are obviously seen and arrested. Were they arrested? Oh yeah. I thought they were I thought they were still at large. You know, I will say, I hope they are still at large. That just makes the story all the more fun. I yeah, I hope that they're they could strike at any minute. You know, it's nice knowing that like really I always have to look over my shoulder just in case. I imagine that they're international. It's gotta be like an Illuminati thing, right? Everything always comes back to that triangle, Jackson. It sure does. <laughs> All right. Uh you can find me at Skip Intro on YouTube and uh yeah, that's it. You can find me in the library. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Capri will be back soon and uh, yeah thanks for listening guys see you later T. Willikers that's all folks